Welcome again to Marketing Management and Money with uh, Ryan Murray and Ethan Meliori. Today we're going to continue our discussion uh, regarding Ryan's book, Startup Marketing. Um, I, you know, I, if you haven't listened to some of the previous episodes, this is one of those things I uh, slapped him around, asked him why he hadn't, we hadn't talked more about this one in some of the previous episodes, and so he was kind enough to s- allow me to s- uh, to beat him up over his book and some of the ideas he has in it. Um, so in the previous episodes, we've covered up to uh, sec- well, introduction section one. Uh, today we'll look at that section two, which is the marketing approach, and and um, so let's just jump right into it. So I don't have to try to think of some other dumb thing to say in introduction, right? <laughs> that was beautiful. <laughs> I moved. <laughs> it is so, your show, so if you want to edit that out, you more. You no, 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 no. We're we're running with it. This is uh, this is good. Section two: the marketing approach of startup marketing. So this is kind of where we get into some of the meat and potatoes of what to actually do. And um, I really want to kick this off. Well, okay. I start with this idea of the typical marketing process and really kind of point out that there's a lot of uh, habits, uh, you know, a a lot of things that people do that they don't necessarily need to do, but that's just the way it's always been done. And, And if you've been, you know, around any organization that's been, you know, in existence for a long time, they get stuck in ruts. They get stuck in patterns. And there's a lot of patterns that happen with startups. And one of the things that, you know, that I point out uh, several times in this book is the failure rate of businesses. And it's hard to definitively quantify what a failure rate is because it depends on what you're quantifying as a failure and how much time you're giving it. And, right. uh, you know, and so it, it's really difficult to pinpoint that. But one thing that is undisputed is that most small businesses end up failing, not succeeding. And, and so if the odds are stacked against you, my simple argument is to say, what we're doing probably is not the best approach if we have less than, you know, less than a 50% chance. In fact, it's even worse than that. But I'm, I'm just going to, you know, like cut it down the middle and say, okay, we're on the wrong side of the coin. Too many small businesses are failing. So the existing marketing approach is not working. That, that, that's kind of my opening argument for this whole section. Uh, along with that... Uh, you you bring out the point that because a lot of startup businesses are already tied on cash, mm-hmm. that uh, they see marketing as an expensive thing. So they want to do some marketing, but they want to do it the cheapest way possible. But that sometimes that mentality is what diminishes their chances for success. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting here because... Uh, and, well, and then you tie it to the marketing budget. Well, and, and this almost sounds... Contra- uh, What's that word? Contrary. Contrary. Contradictory. Contradictory. That's what I was trying to say. That was awkward. That was better than the. So this almost sounds contrary to other things. You know, when I talk about the low cash startup model, the idea here is not to say that it's all relative. 
if I have a marketing budget and my marketing budget is just to not spend money, that's a bad budget. And I end up spending it and I end up spending it on the wrong things. Or if it's just a number. Or if it's just a number, yeah. We just kind of said, oh, well, we have to have we some sort of... We need this of, much to do it right. Uh-huh. Yeah. And, and a lot of times what will happen is you'll have an entrepreneur that they're going to come up with some sort of number. They're going to say, okay... Uh, what do we need to market this? I don't know. Let's say $5,000. Why are you saying $5,000? Probably because you have five fingers on your left hand. <laughs> like, like that's literally where the inspiration is coming from. And uh, Unless you work in a wood shop, then you have four. <laughs> so uh, your, uh, your wood shop uh, marketing budget is $4,000. <laughs> uh, that's too funny. But the idea is to say, you know, when we when we covered section one, we talked about the planning process is that there should be a plan and everything should be connected. We need to connect the dots here. Mm -hmm. And so if I'm coming up with $5,000, the better question to ask is what marketing do I need to generate what types of sales? And then what is that going to cost? And now can I afford that into my marketing budget and actually think through that full process? Yeah. Take a minute and share why you use the analogy of a marathon runner, you know, versus the amateur versus the, you know, someone who's been training for a while and how you, cause that's a great analogy when you talk about startup businesses and kind of what happens when it comes to marketing. Cause I ran my first marathon when I was 12 years old <laughs> with my father. Did you really? I did. Yeah. <laughs> so Have you ran one since? Uh, I've done four marathons in my life. Wow. So I, I didn't know that about you. I, I learned I, something new today. I, I, I ran my first marathon when I was 12, and then I ran one when I was 13. And then, um, so by age 15, I had run four marathons. I had done one every year, and then one year I did two. And okay. uh, So after the age of 15, have you ran any? I have not. Okay. Um, I actually found out a couple things. One, I'm not a very good distance runner. Right. Uh, I am a, more of a what would be considered a middle middle distance runner, and your five k ten k type guy. That's still considered distance. Middle distance really? is your like, eight hundred meter, fifteen hundred <laughs> oh, meter. You know, so like half mile to mile, stuff. fifty meter, forty meter dash, hundred yard dash. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah, I mean, the, the, this has nothing to do with the book, but. <laughs> So your sprinters, uh, those those are the ones that they can do their race on their on their anaerobic system. Mm -hmm. Your distance, they do their race on their aerobic system, and the middle distance, they do their race where they have to cross over from. They start anaerobic and they move into aerobic, and and so it has more to do with the human body and what it's capable of doing is where those kind of distinctions come in. And All right. So. So. All right, back to startup <laughs> marketing. <laughs> but I so. like I like the, the idea though that a lot of companies, startup companies, uh, invest a whole lot of cash thinking I got to get my name out there, I got to get my, you know, recognized out there. But then when it takes time for those sales to come in, they kind of run out of reserves. If you know what I mean, well, they run out of that energy, and, 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 and so they never finish the race. Yeah, the the reason for the marathon analogy is the idea that you know to run a marathon takes three to four hours of running, and that's a really really long oh, time. Yeah, and you know, so businesses, everyone's in the startup phase, and they think that they're going to be the next Microsoft. And so they're like, okay, 
by next year, we're all going to be billionaires. When in reality, they need to be looking at the full race. And it's a long race and it takes a long time. And so, you know, jumping in uh, too quickly, too aggressively, you're going to burn out. You're just not going to be able to sustain and you know, and, and a lot of startups do burn out. They they give it a lot of gusto for the first few months, and then they start to run out of cash. They start to run out of energy. They start to run out of emotional and mental drive, and you know, and and then it becomes drudgery pretty quickly. And and I don't want to see that happen to businesses, you know. And and in the book, the uh, you know, it does state that you could. Uh, so, in fact, I had a, a cousin who, you know, he found out that uh, we were running marathons as a family. Uh, it was kind of like this thing that my dad did with all, you know, me and my brothers. And and he's like, oh, that's kind of cool. And he decided that he wanted to go run a marathon. And he went out and he trained. He was in good shape, but he was not in marathon shape. And he ended up uh, quitting after about 17 miles. Ooh, that's still a long ways. Uh, that is a l- very long ways. And, uh, and so, you know, you can take that approach of say, well, I'm just going to push it hard and I'm going to burn out when I burn out. And then when I do the second marathon, then I'll, (laughs) you know, and, and honestly, that is a training technique for marathon running. That is an approach for a business. I personally think it's smarter to set your pace so that you know that you can finish and build on that as opposed to burning out because that that's hard to you know 17 miles into it and have to uh, say uh, i gotta throw in the towel like that's that's mentally difficult yeah yeah now in the book uh you say quote the foundation for any startup small business's marketing strategy is the small business itself it's a combination of what the business actually sells how they sell it who they sell it to, how big the demand is for what they're selling, et cetera, et cetera. And then you jump right into this struggling startup approach, which is that uh, personal interest leads to launch, which leads to a test, um, which then ultimately, you know, you find out whether there's demand or not. And then, but almost it always leads to this struggling marketing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, let me let me kind of unpack this a little bit where I was coming from this and why you know why I take this approach. So first off, I've worked with a lot of businesses that they would have these business plans or these visions or these things that they'd want to accomplish, but they can never tie it down to an actual product or service that they would sell. And it kind of sounds funny, but it happens all the time. You'll see these dream teams get established where it's like, oh my gosh, you're so good at finance. You're so good at leadership. And they start to, you know, come together, mm-hmm. but they don't actually have anything to sell. And and so, you know, I, I kind of wanted to point out that I'm like, you got to have a foundation. You got to have something that you're going to sell. But then why I bring it right into this SS approach or struggling startup approach is because too often we base that thing that we're going to sell on our own personal interests. We look at what we care about and we assume that other people care about the same thing. Now, I'll tell you. You know, you know what's interesting about this? So chasing a side squirrel, sorry, it's not part of your book, but it helps understand. I you understand talked about that, marathons. So. <laughs> <laughs> that the theory or the argument behind it is that um, if you worked with anybody who has been through addiction recovery, okay? Okay. So as they're, as they're addicted and as the addiction becomes worse, 
they actually form a mindset that everyone else around me is addicted. Yes. They just don't, they're just better at hiding it than I am, or they don't show it, but, but they have the same addictions, right? Yes. But the reality of it is they don't. Yeah. We don't. Yeah. You might, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's interesting because. But they, they absolutely believe everybody else has that same addiction. If, if you look at perpetual liars, people that lie just for the sake of lying and they don't trust anyone because they think everyone else is lying to them. You know, kind of bringing yeah. that up because when you say addiction, a lot of times people, you know, they look at like alcohol or cigarettes or, you know, whatever other, but it, it can come in the form of like lying, I think is a fascinating one because they start to not trust other people because they're so stuck in their own mindset. Right. And so bringing this back to the book is this idea that if I think something is cool, then I'm going to assume that everyone else thinks this same thing is really, really cool. And, you know, I, uh, I, so me personally, I love to learn things. I have like this, this just fascination for learning. And one of the things that I picked up recently is I picked up this uh, desire to uh, start learning Arabic. Really? Yeah. And so well, I, uh, I've, I've learned something. Another thing I learned <laughs> about you today. So uh, the, the main reason I'm doing it is because it's such a different language that it helps me see people through a very different lens because so yeah, I, I'm fluent yeah. in French and I can get by in Spanish, but French and Spanish are similar enough to English right. that, you know, it's the same alphabet. It's, uh, you know, similar pronunciations, you know, and, and so I'm like, I want something very different just to, to kind of make me think about things differently. And I, uh, you know, in my mind, everyone should be passionate about learning Arabic. And when I tell people this, not a single person has ever said, yeah, me too. I want to learn Arabic. You know, like this isn't something that they're passionate about. And, you know, and so if I were to start a business where I'm like, okay, we're going to now do Arabic lessons, it would fail because, you know, it's my personal interest not a shared market interest that can sustain a business. Well, and on that on that point, you you share the thought that it doesn't matter. Um, let's see if I can get it right. It doesn't matter how much marketing you do around that. If there's no demand, there's no demand. Correct. Right. You can market it to death. It isn't going to generate one penny of sale. Yes. If there's no demand. Correct. And so, you know, if you've been following this series, we left off with uh, our commentary on section one. We left off on kind of having some humility to recognize whether or not you have a good startup business. And this is the same kind of thing. Have enough humility to recognize, okay, just because I'm interested in it doesn't mean that there's enough demand to support this for a business. And, and, and this, this one piece right here can save so much grief because I've seen a lot of businesses, they invest a ton of money in what they're passionate about. They invest a ton of time in what they're passionate about. And they just assume that other people should get on board. And then I've seen some people, they actually get angry when other people aren't passionate about it. I'm like, oh, okay, yeah. so if I love ballet, guess what? Ballet is not super popular. And so, you know, I shouldn't be mad at teenagers for not being super passionate about ballet just because I am. 
Right. Now, the rest of the book kind of builds off the the model now you share, which is called the marketing startup approach. Yeah, uh, the MS approach. Yeah, which is first we start with understanding market demand. We run a test run based off of that market demand, based off the results of that, then determines how we launch. Um, and then, of course, then we can, you know, if we do all that right, then we'll find that all of our marketing efforts come together for that, you know, a success of the business. Yeah. So we live in an era where a lot of people uh, go to the scientific method. They want data to justify things. You know, you start talking to someone. You remember growing up because both you and I grew up before the internet. Yeah. And, you know, the same stupid arguments would always pop up and like, did you know? And someone would, Mm -hmm. you know, tout some random fact. There's no way to fact check it. There was no way to fact check it. And and so we kind of culturally had this different mm-hmm. approach where you just sort of trusted people. And I look back now at like some of the stuff my dad told me, and I'm like, man, he was completely wrong. <laughs> but, you know, he was doing the best he could with yeah. the information that he had. Well, yeah. now if you say something, did you know? Everyone's like, well, let's find out. Google it. Yeah, and they always pull it up, and they're just like, no, 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 this is what actually is. And so it, it's very, you know, scientific, very data-driven. Well, when I look at marketing, uh, I say, yeah, we should be less of the old school, you know, where it's like, uh, I just, I just kind of have a gut check, and so I'm, I'm good. And we should be more of the let, let's fact check this. Well, in a startup, the way to fact check it is to run tests, market tests, and so many entrepreneurs skip this step. They either skip it altogether or they fail to adjust based on the feedback. And it's hard. You know, when you've invested thousands of dollars into your baby, you know, yeah. into your idea, yeah. and people are like, eh, I don't like it, or I don't like this, or... It hurts. It hurts, you know. But <clears throat> it's better to test it and figure that out than it is to, you know, invest in expensive equipment, in payroll, in, you know, all of this business startup, uh, and then find out, oh, you know, I really should have done this just slightly differently. Yeah. So the first part of this MS approach is demand. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about uh, demand. Um, And, you know, you use some great examples in there. And, you know, I always go back to uh, some early days when I did some, was doing some consulting and, you know, the individual who came up and said, you know what, I, I need to start an ice cream shop. And like, all right, why? Because, you know, there's not one in my town and everybody I talk to says that they love ice cream. And so hence I should be able to make millions. Right. Yeah. Okay. Um, but in that demand, they always fail to ask, you know, other simple questions that should go along with it that you start bringing out. And that's, you know, kind of the things like, well, how, how often would you shop here? Right. Mm-hmm. How much are you willing to spend on ice cream? Yeah. Right. Cause too many people don't ask those questions. They just kind of vaguely hear there's demand versus no, let's understand what that demand actually is. Well, so with demand and with this whole MS approach, there comes a level of rejection that the entrepreneur has to be willing to accept. 
to go out and ask people honestly how much they would pay for something, how often they would purchase it, and to get that real feedback, uh, sometimes it's going to hurt your ego when they say, yeah, I wouldn't buy from you, you know? And, yeah. uh, and, and, and so... Well, I find that too many people, when you do that, um, they don't want to hurt your feelings, so they give you a responsive affirmation instead of actually their opinion. Well, so, and, and this is brought up in the book, the, uh, the most poignant example, this is where I really started thinking about this. I worked with a, uh, an entrepreneur um, who started a running shoe yeah, store. Yeah. And uh, the wife of the entrepreneur had a running partner who didn't buy shoes from them. <laughs> like the, she would drive 45 minutes to another town to buy her running shoes because that's where she's been buying her running shoes and she wouldn't buy running shoes from them. And so, you know, when, when I saw that, it really opened my eyes. I'm like, wow, this is your own friend who is going out of their way to not buy from you. And it made me realize, ah, yeah, demand's a little bit of a tricky thing because they'll tell you, you know, people will tell you, yes, I would, I would do this. But then when it comes down to do they really want to part with their money and they start acting differently or do they want to try something new? Most humans are risk averse. And so, you know, like it's that Stockholm syndrome where we would rather stay in a bad known scenario than risk going into an unknown scenario. And, and that's, that's what happens with demand is people, they're already buying, you know, and your, your, uh, your example of ice cream, they're already getting ice cream from somewhere. Maybe it's just the grocery store and they're just buying a pint of ice cream at the grocery store, but they're already getting that. And so do you have enough demand that they're going to cross over to your business? Cause you got to pull them from something. Yeah. I like the, the idea that you share about crowdfunding is a, is a way to, you know, the people have used crowdfunding. Is, I need to reword that. They use crowdfunding as a way to kind of test demand. Yeah. You know, are you willing to pre-buy something are yeah. you into this idea, this thought, uh, this product, you know, as, as a way to understand what demand is. I like that. I also like um, that you talk about the, this first approach myth, you know, I'm first to market. Oh, know, you know, that they think that, Hey, you know, it doesn't demand. doesn't really matter if I'm first to market. Um, that solves all the problems, you know, cause everyone will buy from me cause there's no competition. Yeah. I'll, I'll let anyone who's listening right now know a secret. And that is, it is so much easier to play second fiddle. <laughs> <laughs> If, if, if you, if your goal is to have a successful business following the path that someone else paved, you will always go faster. If you're the one who has to clear the trees and move the rocks and pave the way, you will always go slower. And, and I don't care what it is, you know, I mean, you can talk about any industry or whatever. Is there a first mover advantage? There is, but it doesn't make sense for startups. Like the majority of startups, it does not make sense. You really want to play second fiddle. And so even if you think you have a first mover advantage, you, you well, it, highly it, likely you and don't. And I like that you say that, hey, you know, it's fine if you want to be first to market, but it's it's better to get it right than to be there first. Yes. 
So now you share something that's super cool. I want you to explain a bit more. Uh, you talk about this, you know, a lot of times in understanding demand, mm-hmm. uh, if as soon as you're aware of what's going on, it's amazing what your eyes see more of. And you talk about this. Oh, the cars. Yeah, the orange cars. <laughs> yeah. Talk about that. Okay. So it's it's interesting when uh, we see what we want to see and we see what we're already focused on. And so the orange car example is it's just do a simple little test and, uh, you know, count how many orange cars you see. And as soon as you start paying attention to orange cars, they're going to pop up everywhere. And you're going to be like, I had no idea there were so many orange cars in my neighborhood. But if you're not focused on it, you'll think, well, I, I don't know if there are any orange cars in my neighborhood, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. And so it has everything to do with what our what our focus is and where we're putting our attention. And so if I'm trying to understand a market demand it's amazing what is going to pop up when we start looking for those opportunities. And, and really what I'm kind of hitting at in the book is to say that there are, there's no shortage of opportunities. So if, and, and this isn't spelled out in the book, and so this is kind of uh, unique to the commentary here. If you find that what you thought was a demand is not a big enough demand, there's another opportunity waiting for you around the corner. Go ahead and just, you know, chase that opportunity. There's nothing wrong with that. In fact, it's healthy to be able to pivot until you have enough demand for what you're wanting to do. And it takes time. You know, it's not a quick process. Okay. So one of the last sections you kind of bring up um, in this chapter of the book is about break even. Okay. And the power that break even has in helping you when it comes to marketing. Mm-hmm. You let's talk about that one for a minute, uh, and because there's some great points that you bring out tied to that. So we're going to cover break even in uh, greater depth in uh, the next section, and mm-hmm. so I'm going to keep this one okay. as kind right. of a uh, an introductory concept here. But using break even. One of the things that's important to understand about break-even is break-even is where you have no profit or no loss, which I prefer to look at it is it's the starting point to profitability. And so once I hit break-even, I now have started profitability. Now, if I use the concept to say that all sales are derived from my marketing efforts, so everything I market is going to generate sales. And again, we'll talk in depth about this in the next section, but... If, uh, if I understand that sales comes from marketing and then sales leads to profits, then I can understand that break-even is nothing more than a marketing calculation. It's the calculation at which I am going to hit what I need to hit with my marketing efforts. My marketing efforts are going to get me out of that startup phase, if, if that all makes sense. Because getting out of the startup phase is once I am profitable – uh, you know, I, I can stand on my own two feet. And so I use break even as a as a marketing tool. Um, and like I said, we'll we'll explain exactly how that works. But I do want to point out that everyone treats marketing as though it's just out there. You know, they, they treat marketing as though, well, you know, I have to try things and maybe some of them work and maybe I'll get lucky. And there's a lot of unknowns. And I'm like, no, 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 
the the power of putting it into break even is to say there's a clear calculation. Like we can put the calculation in, we can put the formula in, and if you understand some basic algebra, you're solving for x. And if you want to have more profit, then you can adjust the numbers and say, okay, this is how I need to adjust my marketing to hit the numbers that I want to hit. It's very calculable. It's very uh, scientific. Uh, now, that doesn't mean that there's not a creative side to marketing, but uh, all too often people are skipping straight to the creative side and ignoring that you can do a ton of calculation on the marketing side. Now, the next piece in the MS approach is test, this yes. test run. And most people forget that that is an option. Mm-hmm. That, you know, that test to test something is up to you. No one's going to force you to do that, right? Yeah. Now, you, you lay out that there's a few ways that you can, you know, go through, you know, business, you know, do your own test run. You know, there's the business plan that you can run some stuff through, uh, prototypes, uh, you know, that you can do stuff through, um, you know, kind of, you know, let's, let's fine tune a few things and get it out there. You know, there's the bootstrapping that's part of all of that. Mm-hmm. You talk more about, I mean, cause all of those are unique in their own way and important in their own way, depending on where you're trying to go with the startup. Yeah. So, The important thing for me here is to say spend as much time as you can in the testing phase. Uh, Where this really kind of came about was when I noticed how many successful entrepreneurs, when you talk about their story, they would tell the story of, yeah, I just... You know, I, I, I started making these little things in, you know, in my garage. I wasn't even thinking it was ever going to be anything. You know, I was making it for me. And then, you know, my friend saw it and wanted one. And so I made them some. And then, you know, the neighbors down the street wanted one. And I started just making these things. And, and I wasn't trying to start a business. And it really shocked me how many of really successful businesses had a story like I wasn't trying to start a business. I just kind of ended up having a business. And um, that that taught me a valuable lesson to say, okay, we need to spend more time in this test phase because that's what allows us to not have to be, you know, super, super nervous about it. Uh, it's kind of a funny thing. So uh, there's going to be a weird correlation. So Stay with me for a second. All right. right. I, uh, I have a brother who uh, he's uh, oh, several years older than me. He's almost 50 now. And uh, he, he's single. And so I talked to him about dating. And he's like, you know, the problem with dating now is you go on one date and everyone's automatically looking at whether they would want to marry you or not. And I never thought about that, but it puts a ton of pressure because you're on a first date with someone and immediately they're like sizing you up if this is the type of person they would want to marry because they're the marrying age, right? But then I look at, I got a kid in high school. He can go on dates with anyone that he wants to and it doesn't really matter. You know, even if he's in a serious relationship, it doesn't really matter. Right. And so there's this test concept that gives him the flexibility to go out and date and have a great time that my older brother doesn't have that same 
you know, that same luxury. And so I look at this as a business and I say, you know, why are you putting the pressure on it? Why are you committing to your business like you're committing to a marriage on the first date? Why don't you just allow you know, some space there and say, okay, we're going to try a few things. We're going to put a few things out there. We're going to see what works. We're going to see what doesn't work. We're going to eliminate as much pressure as possible. We're going to lower the cash outlay that we're going to have to do. And we put all these things in place that just gives a nice play atmosphere. It's a lot more fun and it's a lot more effective for long-term success. So yeah, to me, testing is saying, remove all of the obligations, all of the formalities, get rid of as much of that as possible and stay in that space. You can still make money in the test. You can sell stuff, you can have customers, but those customers, you go to them and you just tell them flat out, you're like, hey, I'm just, I'm testing this right now. So give me your feedback. Let me know what you like. And all of a sudden, they're super chill with you. They're like, oh, you're testing it? Okay, I'd love to give you some input. But the second you give them something, you're like, hey, here's a finished product. They're like, oh, it doesn't work. It's broken. You know? <laughs> uh, great great advice. Uh, you, you wrap up this section of the book with that last step of the approach, which is the launch. Mm-hmm. And in the book, uh, you say, quote, when you launch a, launch a business, you should be at the point where you know and understand what your small business is going to act like. Yeah. That, that you, I like that because it means that I have a high level of certainty now mm-hmm. that I'm going to be successful. I'm, I've taken a lot of the variables out uh, because I've done the proper planning process. I've, I've um, quantified the data for demand. I've run some test runs. I know if I put in, you know, metal into this machine, I get a pop can out versus, you know, mm-hmm. versus, you know, if I put metal in, am I going to get a, a, you know, a rabbit? Yeah. So, <laughs> so you've worked those kinks out uh, to do that. And now you're ready to launch. Yeah. And to a lot of people, they're going to get confused. They're like, well, I don't understand the difference between test and launch. It looks the same to them. And I'm like, no. When you are testing, you're open to failing. You're open to pivoting. You know, like if I'm testing a business and, you know, my customers come to me and say, you know, I'm not really, I'm not really digging what you're, you know, what you're doing here. I have no problem shutting it all down and be like, okay, you know, customer feedback wasn't good. We're going to try something else, you know, but once I launch, like I'm, I'm in business and if things start to get tough, I stick it through, I push through. That's where the tenacity really comes in. You know, everyone talks about the tenacity of entrepreneurs. I would put tenacity in the launch phase, not in the test phase, you know, and, uh, and, and so, yeah, there, there should be some certain thresholds that have been met, some standards that have been met and you should have no hesitation investing whatever money you need to in the launch phase. So, this will come out more in Section 3. Uh, when we talk about Section 3, when I'm testing, I'm using the low-cash startup model that we're going to cover in Section 3. When I'm launching, I'm using whatever cash is necessary. And so that's probably the best way to distinguish between test and launch is whether or not I'm using the low-cash startup model. So when we get to Section 3, I think, I think we'll clarify more what exactly it means to be testing and launching. Uh, and you use an analogy that we've heard a thousand times, but I like how you've applied it here about the airplane mechanic that's working on a plane when it's flying versus when it's on the ground. And, right. and we all want to be 
on the plane when there's no mechanics around, right? I don't want to be a passenger <laughs> in a plane if there's a mechanic working on it, right? Yeah. Because that, that's just too many red flags, makes me nervous. You know, is this business really what it's supposed to be? So uh, I like that analogy that, hey, you know what? That the mechanic should be there while you're going through those testing phases so that it's not disrupting huge market demand. It's not disrupting, you know, potential clients out there, even though, you know, it's going to do a little bit of that in that testing phase. But when we get into that launch, we know we can put passengers on our plane. They're going to have a great experience. They're going to want to come back and fly with us again. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So I think that's a pretty good place. There's a lot of content in section two. It's the biggest section of the book. Uh, there's a lot of content and it's spelled out that way on purpose. So, you know, in this commentary, the goal was not to spell out what's already in the book. So if you want to uh, listen to that, uh, go back and listen to that uh, to kind of see what we're talking about here. But a really good section to, you know, to, to lay a foundation. Uh, but then uh, to me, section three is where it starts to come together. And so I get excited about that. Uh, looking forward to that so do conversation I, as well. Because the, the title has cash in it. So. I know, I know. You greedy <laughs> little bugger. <laughs> so thanks everyone for uh, listening to us today. Hope that you're finding some uh, good value in the book uh, that Ryan's put out there. I think as you continue to pull all these pieces together, you'll find that it's going to really help you strengthen, especially if you're in the startup phase, strengthen uh, your the model that you'll refine as you're moving through this process. So again, thanks for joining us today.